Hello and welcome to Connect Points podcast and sermon archives. If you'd like to learn more about our church, please go online to our website at connectpointupc.com or follow us on our Facebook page. Thank you very much and I hope you enjoy this week's message. God bless. Uh, your financial life to Jesus Christ. And uh, I know I don't have to, if you've done that, I don't have to uh, twist your arm to get you to say that was a good idea. Uh, Once you do it, uh, you realize that was an excellent thing. (laughs) And uh, you may even think I should have been doing this a long time ago. Uh, But uh, so we're going to be talking about some of of those things this month. And uh, the first uh, three weeks, our elements class is going to be in here with us as we deal with the subjects of uh, tithing, subject of offering, and the subject of sacrificial giving. Uh, And then they'll be going back into their next group of elements classes, and uh, we're going to continue on with the last lessons. And actually, I have some some new things uh, that uh, I've been uh, kind of working on that we'll be sharing uh, there that have Still connected to, to money, but just a little bit different perspective. Let's turn to First Chronicles 29. Amen. We do have a few uh, different things uh, to do tonight, um, as far as maybe you haven't heard it before, uh, but you're also going to see maybe even some illustrations you've seen before, so, so I'm asking you not to, not to steal my thunder, okay? If, if, you've, seen my, if you've seen an illustration before, don't, don't preempt it by nudging your person next to you and saying, I know what's about to happen. <laughs> Amen. Uh, let's pray together. Jesus, we love you so much. We thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to come together. We thank you for the family of God, the body of Christ. What a blessing it is. Thank you, Lord God, for the time of fellowship we've had, the food, those, Lord God, that provided and organized that tonight. We thank you for that. Lord, I pray that you would just bless our time together. Help us, Lord Jesus, to have unity of thought, unity of mind, and help us, Lord God, to learn of you and grow in you. And everybody said, in Jesus' name, amen. First Chronicles 29, 6-17 is where we're going to kind of start at tonight. Then the chief of the fathers and princes of the tribes of Israel, and the captains of thousands and of hundreds, with the rulers of the king's work, offered willingly... And gave for the service of the house of God of gold 5,000 talents and 10,000 strams and of silver 10,000 talents and of brass 18,000 talents and 100,000 talents of iron. And they with whom precious stones were found gave them to the treasure of the house of the Lord by the hand of Jehiel uh, the Gershonite. Then the people rejoiced for that they offered willingly. Amen. If I say willingly. willingly. They rejoiced. Because they offered willingly, because with perfect heart they offered willingly to the Lord. And David the king also rejoiced with great joy. Verse 10. Wherefore David blessed the Lord before all all the congregation. And David said, Blessed be thou, Lord God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Thine, O Lord, is the greatness, and the power, and the glory, and the victory, and the majesty. How many know all those belong to God? 
All of that belongs to God. For all that is in the heaven and in the earth is thine. How many know that's also true? Thine, he says, is the kingdom, O Lord, and thou art exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come of thee, and thou reignest over all, and in thine hand is power and might, and in thine hand is to make great and to give strength unto all. Everybody, look, you see, it's in his hand, right? It's in his hand to give these things to us. Now, therefore, our God, we thank thee and praise thy glorious name. But who am I, and what is my people that we should be able to offer so willingly after this sort? For all things come of thee, and of thine own have we given thee. How can we do this, God? How can we offer this? Because we all, we all understand all of this came from you to begin with. And, and we're giving you back of your own. This is yours, and we're just giving it back to you. For we are strangers before thee, and sojourners as were all our fathers. Our days on earth are as a shadow, and there is none abiding. O Lord our God, all this store that we have prepared to build thee a house for thine holy name cometh of thine hand and is all thine own. He reiterates it again. We're about to do this stuff. We're about to build this with what we give but it all came free from you, from your hand, and it belongs to you. I know also, my God, that thou triest the heart. This is interesting now. I know that you try the heart. I know, God, that sometimes you do things to see what's in my heart. David understood this about God. He understood this is how God works. That thou triest the heart and has pleasure in uprightness. As for me, in the uprightness of my heart, I have willingly offered all these things. And now have I seen with joy, everybody say with joy, I have seen with joy thy people which are present here to offer willingly unto thee. Oh, hallelujah. That is a phenomenal, some phenomenal scriptures right there. Amen. And it, it captures the spirit, I believe, tremendously of giving. And that's what we want to, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to uh, capture, if we can, the spirit of giving. Somebody say, praise the Lord. So it's my desire this month to talk about how we give financially in God's kingdom, how we do it, why we do it, and to, to be able to do that correctly, uh, we have to use a lot of scriptures, right? We gotta look at the Bible, we gotta kinda see what the Bible has to say. So I would highly encourage you to take notes and uh, write things down, and it's, it's an important matter. Uh, money matters. It matters so much that people are going to ask you, when you, if they find out that you're a part of a church, if they find out that you support a church or support ministry or support the kingdom of God, people are going to ask you, why do you do that? People, if you ever start talking about money with people and you start uh, discussing about how you spend or handle uh, your money, if they find out you're giving to uh, what we would call the kingdom of God, they're gonna ask you why. 
Why do you do that? How do you do that? Where do you do that? When do you do that? Right? Because money matters to people. Money is a big thing. And it matters to people. And so uh, I want to talk about that. And, uh, and as you've heard me say before, uh, it's kind of like if you're sitting at the doctor's office getting an exam and they start kind of pressing and prodding on something and you go, oh. And the doctor says, that, that shouldn't hurt like that. If I start pressing and prodding the next month on money and you go, oh. I want you to hear a voice in your head that says, it really shouldn't hurt you that bad. <laughs> it really, you really shouldn't have that response to it uh, because discussing money and talking about money in the church is not something that anybody should be afraid of. It's not anything we should hide from. The Bible surely does not hide from the idea of money. So the, the question is, is why do we give to church? Why do we give to church? And right away, we have to start thinking about how we view what we're giving to. Because if someone says to you, why do you give to church? You may want to broaden the subject a little bit. You may want to say, well, I actually give to the kingdom of God. Or I actually give to the work of God in the earth. Right? Because... If you just say, why do you give to the church? You don't know what they mean by that. What do they mean by that? So just like everything we do uh, on earth, uh, anything we try to participate in, and, and especially uh, if you want to just say, why do you give to the church? If you want to narrow it down like that, just about everything that you do uh, with your house, think about your home, how often... Do you do anything to your home that doesn't cost you money? Right? I mean, for years, uh, before we owned our own home, for years, uh, people would just kind of com complain and say, oh, you don't need to own your own home. It's nothing but just money here and money there. and Fix this and fix that, right? There's a lot of money that goes into our house. We know that. We understand that. And there's also a lot of money that has to go into this house. This is a physical structure. Yes, it's part of the kingdom of God. Yes, it's ministry that takes place. Yes, eternal things happen here. Uh, but you could make that same argument for your home. I could make that same argument for your home. That, that ministry could happen in your home. And eternal things can happen in your home. By saying that, I don't negate the need to also have this. Right? We don't negate the need to also have this. You say, well, you know, someone says, well, I, I, this whole church thing's got out of hand, and the amount of money they're spending on buildings and, and, and structure, and, and the amount of money they're spending on programs, I'm just going to go and start a, start a church in my home, and I'm just going to do it. I, we don't need to spend all that money on heating and air conditioning. And, and my comeback to that would be like, well, that's wonderful, except you must not plan on being very successful, because if you're going to be successful, that ministry is going to grow. And unless you plan on expanding your house, which maybe that's the plan, eventually you might want to have a group of people say, maybe we should build a church. 
And then you're going to be right in the same boat that you're, you know, that you find frustrating. And so we have to, it's about the viewpoint and it's about how things are taken care of. And it's also about understanding that if we give, when we start giving too much power to money and money becomes too important to us, then we start to prioritize things based upon money. God doesn't prioritize things based upon money. Because something is very expensive doesn't make it better or worse to God. You see what I'm saying? He, that, that money doesn't factor in as far as what is, is right or wrong or righteous or unrighteous or holy or unholy with God. But we do have to think about it because right now uh, there's lights on, there's electricity being used. Uh, just a heads up to the ladies, there's a note on the door, handles broken on the bathroom door. We don't want you to go in there and break it off the rest of the way because then you're locked in. There's no way to get out of the bathroom at that point. <laughs> that means we got to buy a new door handle, right? That, hap that stuff happens all the time. There's always something that needs to be fixed, okay? And, 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 and also, just like with your own house, there's always something to be fixed, but that's not all that you do with your life, is it? You have more of a life than just your home, don't you? Yeah, and so there's other finances that you rely on uh, to do that. You need finances to support your family, right? Churches need finances not only for the structure, but churches also need finances to support the people who help run and organize what's going on in the church. Amen. So we have to have the finances to support, uh, like even just as a pastor in my family, uh, just like you have to support yours, I have to support mine. I'm just as much obligated by God to, to, to support my family and to provide for my family as anyone else in here is obligated by God to do the same, right? You say, well, well shouldn't God take care of them? He does. He does take care of us. By all of us participating biblically with our finances, then, our, then I'm taken care of. Right? He is taking care of it. That's the only way it's getting done. It's not like we got an in, just some independently wealthy person that, that doesn't even attend our church that's like, I'll take care of the pastor's salary this year. Yeah, maybe if that ever happened, then to God be the glory. But we're still going to have to give and we're still going to have to participate. So I want to look at a few things that are included tonight, specifically in the area of the biblical tithe. Okay? The next few weeks we'll cover, like I said, we'll cover offerings and we'll cover sacrificial giving and we'll cover some other stuff. But we notice in 1 Chronicles 29 and 1, Furthermore, David the king said to all the congregation, Solomon my son, whom alone God hath chosen, is yet young and tender. And the work is great. How many know sometimes the work is great? And the work is great because they needed to build a, a temple. They needed to build a house for God. They needed to build a place where people could come and worship God and they could do all of the stuff that's connected to that. And so he says, the work is great for the palace or the temple is not for man, but for the Lord God. 
It's for the Lord God. This is why we often refer to this structure, this church, as the house of God. Amen. It's not, it's not a place where God has to eat and sleep because God doesn't eat and sleep. It's not the only place God can dwell because God dwells in all places, right? He's an omnipresent God. But we refer to this as the house of God because it's built in his name for the glory of God and the things that are done here are done for the glory of God. You can clap your hands on that. That's all right. Amen. This place is for his glory. This place is also for our benefit. It's for our blessing. Amen? Amen. Have you ever been blessed by being in this place? Have you ever been benefited by being in this house? Amen. Amen. And the reason why we are blessed and we are benefited by this place is because it's the house of God, because God is worshiped here. Because his name is on this place. So if we, if we see this place as just an asset that we own, just an asset that we control, we need to consider viewing it as God's house. Because if it's just an asset or just a structure, it can be easy to, 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 to get all messed up about why do I need to give to that? But if we start seeing it as what it is, as God's house and a place where God is worshiped and ministry is done, it gets a whole lot easier to give of myself and give of my time and give of my energy and my finances to this place. Amen? So there's a view, there's a way of viewing it that matters and is, is, is necessary to get it right. One thing that jumps out at us from our text is the word willingly. Everybody say willingly. We must give to God willingly for it to fit into God's system or God's plan. Right? You say, well, pastor, you just, how about you just be happy you get my money? No. I won't be happy that I just happy that I get your money because giving with the wrong attitude changes the process of God's blessings. And I can't be happy if I see you're, you're, you're not lined up with the blessings of God. Right? I can't be happy because that means I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing. And that's showing you the extreme benefits of being lined up with the blessings of God through our giving. So when we give cheerfully and willingly, it pleases the Lord. Maybe you might not know this yet, but you need to learn it quick. Anything that pleases the Lord, you want to do. Amen? There are good things that happen when God is pleased with our lives. Amen. 2 Corinthians 9 but this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. That's pretty straightforward, isn't it? Every man, according as he purposeth in his heart, not someone else's heart, in his heart, so let him give. Not, oh, so there's more to it than that. Not grudgingly or of necessity, 
For God loveth a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that ye, always having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good word. That's a lot of alls that are promised to us right there. That's a lot of promises in that scripture that are connected, though, not just to giving, but to how we give. So I don't want to bust your bubble, but if you've been been given, but you hate it every time you do it, and you whine about it every time you do it, and complain, I got to do this again, if you're doing that, you are hurting yourself majorly. You are working against the process. Amen. Amen. It's God's process and God's plan for a whole bunch of all's promises to come to pass in our life. But it matters how we do it. How much we give, whether it's sparingly or whether it's bountifully, that matters to God. How we give, whether it's grudgingly or cheerfully, that matters to God. Money matters. These are matters connected to money. First Chronicles reminds us that we are not giving God anything he didn't already own. For all things come of thee and of thine own have we given thee. It cometh of thy hand. Right? You can't argue with that. We remember that God had it first. Somebody say first. He allowed it to come to us, Deuteronomy 8, 17 and 18. And thou say in thine heart, my power and the might of my hand hath gotten me this wealth. But thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is he that giveth thee power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant, which he sware unto thy fathers as, as it is this day. We get off on this little prideful kick that I'm the reason why I have what I have. Amen? We get off on this thing where it's like, well, bless God, I pulled myself up by my own bootstraps and nobody helped me get here and I got all this by the sweat of my brow. You may have sweat while you were getting it, but it came from God. It came from God. And I'm glad you're a hard worker. I'm glad you're a hard worker and I'm glad you're doing what you can do, but we can't forget that it started in his hand before it got in ours. Amen. All of this stuff foundationally matters, by the way. What I'm talking about here, the spirit of giving. What I'm talking about here is the heart of giving. What I'm talking about here is the understanding of it. This is all foundational stuff to, to, for us to give correctly so that we don't mess up what we learn next. You gotta start with the right foundation. Amen? Always have to start with the right foundation. And so, uh, he establishes covenant, the, what he swear, the promises he's made, he brings in the past. All good things, James 1.17, look at it. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. It means that he is immutable. Immutable means he is unchanging. God doesn't change. He's an unchanging God. That's good. 
It's good that he's an unchanging God. If you really think about it, it would be messed up if he was changing his mind all the time. <laughs> right? The fact that he's immutable, that he's unchanging, means that we can learn some things about him, that once we learn them, we can know that's always going to be true. That he's never going to change on that. And so whatever causes God or whatever has caused God to bless anybody in the past will also cause God to bless me in the present. This is the beauty of looking at the word of God when we're talking about finances because the word of God is full mostly of promises and blessings that are connected to people who handle their finances correctly, which means every time I learn something about finances that blessed anyone in the Bible, I know it can still bless me today. That's a powerful thing to, to know and to understand. I want to know in my life what moves God's hand to bless. Amen. That's not selfish. That's, that's, not, that's not a messed up spirit. I'm not saying that I, I want to I, I just be ridiculously wealthy. I want whatever God wants from me. Amen. I want whatever he wants from me, which means if what he wants from me has already been written down and I can behave in such a way as to cause his hand of blessing to come over my life, then I'm going to behave that way. I'm going to submit that. I'm going to be obedient to that. Amen. You say, well, you just want more money. You got me. I want more money if it comes from the hand of God. If you want to say that, just make sure you finish the sentence. I want more money that comes from the hand of God. Amen. So 1 Chronicles 29, David is wanting to build a house for the Lord. David has been a man of war. There's reasons why God does not allow David to be the one to build the house when he's king. But David connects himself to it as much as he can. And he calls upon the people to begin to compile the materials that will be needed when the time comes. He's setting up his son for success. Now, I'm not teaching about that tonight, but let me just say this. You want to set your kids up for success, money is a good place to start talking to them and teaching them about how to handle their money. If you want them to be successful, right? It's a good place to start with helping them understand the biblical principles. And so he's doing this and he's asking the people to compi compile the materials needed. But notice this verse, 1 Chronicles 29.3. Let me read this, this verse from the New King James Version. Moreover, because I have set my affection on the house of my God, I have given to the house of my God over and above all that I have prepared for the holy house, mine own special treasure of gold and silver. Now, I think this is important for us to see. David didn't just collect from the people. 
David didn't just put on his kingly robe and put his kingly, his, on his head his crown, go out, have the trumpets blow and say, hear you, hear ye, all you people, you need to give to this. He could have done that. In fact, that's probably would have been normal behavior for a lot of kings. But David wants it to be very clear. He says, I didn't just collect this from the people. I also gave to this cause. I participated. You see, nobody, somebody say nobody. Nobody is ever exempt from giving to God. Ever. No exemptions. It's not about amounts, right? What do we always say? It's not equal giving, but it's what? Equal sacrifice. It's not about amounts, but there is no exemption from participating in giving to God. And David drives this point home as the all-powerful king saying, I want it to be clear, I have given to the house of my God over and above what I prepared for everyone else to do. I gave my own of my own, he gave. Amen. This is important. We need to understand that because there's these little voices, right? There's these little voices that can get in our heads that we can justify why we don't need to give. Amen. Let me, tell you, let me tell you one that is a major one that a lot of people don't think about. And this is connected to sacrificial giving, which, which I will be dealing with in week three. But one of the things I've noticed is, is sometimes when, when, we're, when we call for sacrificial giving, when we're wanting to do something with missions or I am global or right now we're, we're raising money for the church in a day thing, um, when we call for that, uh, you know, Sometimes if people find out, well, we're, we're almost there. Or if I get up and say, God did a miracle and somebody gave $5,000 and look how far ahead we are. There's a voice that comes in some people's head that says, oh, well, if they did that, then I don't need to do anything. You say, how do you know that, pastor? Because I'm a pastor. There's a little voice, the justification that says, well, if it's going that good and, everybody, and, and that many people have already given to it, I'll just wait for the next one. How many know waiting for the next one never really ever comes around? There's a lot of justifications that we can give ourselves for not participating. But I'm gonna tell you right now, as your pastor of this church, Giving is something that is highly important to me. It's highly important to my wife. It's highly important to my family. We give to everything we can give to. We pay tithes. You say, why would you pay tithes if, if it's just gonna, percentage of that's just gonna come back? Well, there's your key. One of the key answers is, is that word percentage. A percentage of it's gonna come back. But the main answer is, if I don't pay tithes, I'm robbing God. Amen. You say, well, that's operating in fear. Well, we'll get to that in a second. But there's another reason. Why do we give to missions? Because we believe in world missions. 
Because we believe that though we live in Mankato, Minnesota, that we want to be a part of a gospel that's being preached around the world. And I may never go to any of those places, and I know it's cliche, I know every missionary says it, you know, everybody can't go, but everybody can give. I know it's cliche, but it's true. There's a lot of places on the face of this earth that my feet will never trod, and I will never be able to preach the gospel to those people, but somebody will, and if I can connect my money to that work and bless God, I desperately wanna be a part of that. Amen. Amen. Plus, I might meet some of those people in heaven. Right? Amen. So they're building a temple, perhaps the greatest temple that's ever been built upon the earth. They've tried to make estimates about what it might have been worth. I mean, it's, it's a wide range, somewhere between three to six billion dollars that would have been in our money put into this temple for God. Amen. How did they do it? Look at 29 again, 1 Chronicles 29, 14 and 17. But who am I and what is my people that we should be able to offer so willingly of this sort? For all things come of thee and of thine own hand have we given thee. We are strangers before thee, sojourners as were our fathers. Our days on the earth are as a shadow. There is none, none abiding. He's like, you know, we're not really, we're not really that great. We don't really have a ton to offer. We don't really, we're not, we're not all just walking around, you know, carrying sacks of gold over our shoulders. We don't even have, we, our fathers, we were just traveling people. They didn't even have a land. They didn't even have a homeland. We don't even live that long. Oh, Lord, our God, all this store that we have prepared to build thee a house for thine holy name cometh of thine hand and is all thine own. I know also, my God, that thou triest the heart and has pleasure in uprightness. As for me, in the uprightness of my heart, I have willingly offered all these things. And now I see with joy. I look and I see there's joy on the faces of the people which are also willingly offering to this. Right? Willingly, with an upright heart. There is something powerful about a heart that is willing to give to God. You can attend this church your whole life and never put anything in the offering. That's your choice. Nobody is going to chase you down. Nobody is going to meet you at the door one Sunday and say, listen here. You've reached your maximum of 10 times coming to church without giving anything. If you would like to proceed, you can drop something in the offering plate. That's not how it works, right? It's about a willing heart. It's about understanding the benefits and the blessings of what's connected to being obedient to God. That God can take our humble offerings And let's face it, that's what it is. 
That's the beauty of the body of Christ is that we all are just offering our humble offering. This ain't much. This isn't life-changing. I'm not blowing the doors off the place, but I'm lining myself obediently with Scripture, and I'm offering this unto the Lord. And David is pointing out that when we do that, God can take the humblest of offerings, and he can bless it and multiply it and do tremendous things that we never thought were possible. Amen. So they gave, those that had a little silver gave some of their silver. Those that have a little gold gave some of their gold. They understood Haggai 2 and 8. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, saith the Lord of hosts. They had it, but they understood it wasn't theirs. Amen. This, by the way, is why there ought to be some conviction that hits us when we start thinking about using our finances for things that don't bring God glory. Amen. There ought to be some conviction that hits us. When we're purchasing things and buying things and signing up for things and using the money God gave us to do something that God does not approve of. That ought to... That ought to that ought to mess with us a little bit. And so, everybody say, I am not an owner. Everybody say, I am a steward. Steward, I'm a steward. Stewardship, it means the management or the care of something. It's how I manage it, it's how I care for something. I don't own it. You see, if our heart is connected to God, Deuteronomy 6 and 5, love the Lord with all your what? Heart. If our heart is connected to God, and if our heart is also connected to our treasures, Matthew 6, 21, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So if our heart is connected to God and our heart is connected to our treasures, then our treasures should be connected to our God. Right? Now, I want to, I want to, now I want us to look at tithing, but I want to do something a little bit different. I want to give a couple of illustrations. We have a little video here that I want you to watch. This is uh, the guy who started Hobby Lobby. Anybody like Hobby Lobby? This is the guy who runs and manages and owns Hobby Lobby. Let's watch this little video and just listen to what he has to say. Yeah, it's been really exciting to see all the things that's happened over the years. Uh, And it just seems to keep building. That may be an understatement. From Hobby Lobby's humble beginnings in an Oklahoma City living room back in the early 70s, founder and CEO David Green now oversees close to 20,000 employees and 457 stores in 39 states. He's number 136 on Forbes' list of the 400 richest Americans, with a net worth of just over $2.5 billion. The journey to that amount was draining at times, involving battles with pride and debt. A humble and grateful green emerged from the trials, giving all the credit to God. God has just blown us off the map, and we know that we give God the glory. Only a portion of the West Coast and New England are without the arts and crafts chain. However, Green says Hobby Lobby stores are on the way, with one expected to open in California in January, followed by stores in Connecticut, Rhode Island, and New Hampshire. There's so many decisions that we have to make that we just can't make without God 
the Holy Spirit guiding us, and it has been very important for us and our family to lean on the Holy Spirit. For him, it was always a ministry. You know, he, he couldn't be a preacher, and Grandma wanted six preachers, and he wished he could have been a preacher, but that wasn't his calling, and so he had to go where his gifting was, and he just he loved the retail business. Green built his business on biblical principles. We've always tithed. That's something that we've always have been taught, but we've also been taught that that's not giving. Giving is but above what we owe God, and that is our tithes. More profits mean more funds to give away. David Green and his family have given millions to Christian causes and education. Their generous donations have benefited Liberty University in Virginia, rescued Oral Roberts University in Oklahoma, and will enable C.S. Lewis College to open in Massachusetts. Green's latest charitable endeavor involves purchasing Christian artifacts and ancient Bibles for a national Bible museum. However, Green hasn't forgotten those who help keep Hobby Lobby stores running and the customers happy. This year, the company raised the minimum wage for full-time employees to $11 per hour, 52% above the federal minimum wage. Green says it's a way to reward employees for the company's success. Another way that Green takes care of his employees is by limiting the number of hours that the store stays open in the evenings. For example, as you can see here, Monday through Saturday, it's open until only 8 p.m. Hobby Lobby is also closed on Sundays to allow time for family and worship. It, was, it kind of frightened us when we knew God was, was speaking to us about closing on Sunday because it is, per hour, the busiest day of the week. But we knew God wanted us to close. Green says there are no other companies the size of Hobby Lobby that are open only 66 hours a week. Yet even in these tough economic times, Green's business is flourishing. He says same-store sales rose 6% last year, and the company's overall revenue was up 10%. Well, our businesses have done really well, even in these hard times. Last year, we had a nice increase even in our same stores. This year, we're above that. So I know God is uh, in this, and He is blessing us. And I think, though, just as important as our giving is, is our hearts, and, and that we do have uh, clean hands and a pure heart in, in our work. And this is what God would require of us. Green and his family are not just financial givers. They strive to help meet the spiritual needs of their employees as well. Three Hobby Lobby chaplains minister to workers. Green says hundreds of employees have given their hearts to Jesus Christ, including more than a dozen managers this year alone. We prayed a prayer with them, and we did have 15 of our managers come to know Christ in the business place. Sharing the gospel, Green says, is the driving force behind his quest for success in the marketplace. In fact, that's how he wants to be remembered. I would like to know that we have brought as many people to know Christ as we possibly can. We hope to continue to just grow our company. Uh, you know, as long as there's someone on this earth that doesn't know Jesus Christ, we have a job to do. Mark Martin, CBN News, Tulsa, Oklahoma. All right. Is, that's all right. Go ahead. Yeah. Now, there's a whole lot of stuff in that video, and, and I'm not going to try to use all of it, but he mentioned the heart, right? A couple different times he talked about the heart. It says at the very beginning that when he was first starting out, that he, he battled with pride. Did you hear that part? Battled with pride, battled with, that, with, with what God wanted him to do. I watched another thing about him where it said that when they're, they're at the beginning, when their company was 
not really taking off and they were funding the bill and they were going in debt and things weren't working well. He talked about almost every day how he would end up at some point under his desk crying out to God that God would help him, that God would make this work. But then you heard him talk about the tithe. And he very plainly, very plainly says that they tithe, that everything's tithe. And then he says, and we'll talk about this next Wednesday, but he says, but we understand tithing is not really giving to God. That you go above and beyond that before we can actually give, and you'll hear more about that. I, I, I thought that was really interesting, and I thought it was interesting to think about people in, in, our, in our world and in the past and even in the present that participate in tithing and, and to see what that means to them, right? There's actually a lot more people participating in tithing than you and I may believe. In fact, one of the things you'll learn if you start doing some studying on it, there's a lot of people that would call themselves not very spiritual people who tithe. They tithe because at some point in their life, they tried it, and it, God blessed them so tremendously for doing it that even though they have somewhat strayed from God in other areas of their life, they'll never stray away from that because it's a principle of God, right? And the principles that God puts in place are going to work. They're going to work no matter what. Uh, I didn't know this, but you'll recognize the name, John D. Rockefeller. He was America's very first billionaire. He died uh, with a net worth of $760 billion uh, at his death. This is part of an interview that he gave. Let me read. These are his words. Yes, I tithe. And I would like to tell you how it all came about. I had to begin work as a small boy to help support my mother. My first wages amounted to $1.50 per week. The first week after I went to work, I took the $1.50 home to my mother and she held the money in her lap and explained to me that she would be happy if I would give a tenth of it to the Lord, a tithe of it to the Lord. I did. And from that week until this day, I have tithed every dollar God has entrusted to me. And I want to say, if I had not tithed the first dollar I made, I would not have tithed the first million dollars I made. He says, tell your readers to train, train the children to tithe, and they will grow up to be faithful stewards of the Lord. Amen. If I had not tithed on the first dollar, if I had not submitted to the tithe on the first dollar, there's no way I would have done it when I made my first million dollars. The late billionaire Sir John Templeton, he had this to say about tithing and money management. This was a man who worked for many years daily with people looking to get more out of their money to manage their finances. He worked with people every single day. He says this, I have observed thousands of families over my years of investment counseling. I always saw greater prosperity and happiness among those families who tithed than among those who didn't. He said, I work with people all the time that are trying to manage their money, build their money, get their money right, figure it out. He says, 
thousands of families, the ones who tithed, not only were they more prosperous, he says they were more happy. Amen. What is the biblical tithe? Malachi 3, 8 through 11. Will a man rob God? Wow, it's a tough question, right? Yet ye have robbed me. Ooh, that feels like a gut punch. But you say, wherein have we robbed thee? The answer to your question is you robbed him in tithes and offerings. So you are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even you've robbed the whole nation. Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in my house, and prove me now, with, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that there shall not be room enough to receive it. And not only am I going to pour out a blessing that's so much you can't even contain it, at the same time, simultaneously, I will rebuke the devourer for your sake. And he shall not destroy the fruits of your ground, neither shall your vine cast her fruit before the time in the field, saith the Lord of hosts. You see, God has given us a free will. But our decisions have consequences still the same. And when we don't give to God, his word declares that we are robbing him. That we are robbing God. You say, well, how can I rob God if God owns it all? Because he gives it to us with opportunity to give some of it back to him. Why does he do this? Because he's looking for obedience. When we refuse him, we rob him. It's his designed process, as David says, to try the heart. It's also his designed process to bless us abundantly. It's designed for blessing, unless we rob him. Everybody hear what I said? It's designed for blessing unless we rob him. It's scripture that opens our understanding of what's going on with our money. That it can be blessed by God, open the windows of heaven, or it can be cursed. How is it cursed? By the devourer stealing it away from us. Here's the addition. If I rob God, I will be robbed. There's, the, there's the, the simple math. If I rob God, I will be robbed. The devourer. The devourer is anything that can take from you. Anything that's trying to take from you. Anything designed to take from you. That devourer is held back when we're obedient to God. Amen? That devourer is kept back. Oh, hallelujah. He says, I rebuke the devourer. And he says, I do it for your sake. The devourer doesn't mess with God. The devourer is not even going to hurt God's plan. Amen. God will do what God wants to do. But what will we do? And how much will we be blessed by being a part of that? God says, if you don't rob me, then I'll curse, I'll rebuke 
the devourer so he doesn't rob you. Oh, hallelujah. Amen. I don't want any part of anything that can steal God's blessings from me. I don't want nothing. I don't want nothing to do with anything that can steal the blessings of God from my life. You say, well, it's scary. It is scary. But I want you to understand, this is not a fear tactic. This is Bible scripture. I didn't just come up with some devourer. Ooh, you better give to church. The big bad devourer. That would be ridiculous. It was a little ridiculous for me to do what I just did. But it's scripture. Right? That's just as much scripture as hero Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. It's just as much scripture. And so we have to understand that and we have to operate with that understanding that it is just as much scripture. Haggai 1 and 6, the Israelites are back in the promised land. They have used everything they had to build their own houses. The house of God, the temple, all of this is still in ruins. They've built their own houses. They've taken care of their own stuff, but the, the house of God is still in ruins. And Haggai 1, look at this now, 3 through 7. Then came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet saying, Is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses and this house lie waste? Talk about the house of God. Now, therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Ye have sown much, and you bring in very little. You eat, but you don't ever have enough. You drink, but you're not filled with drink. You put clothes on, but you're not warm. And he that earneth wages, earneth wages to put them into a bag with holes. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. One of the reasons why we do this series once a year is because of that line. Consider your ways. Think about what you're doing. We can get so swept up with life, man. It can just take us over. We can just get so swept up with stuff and and. and, and buying this and bills connected to this and unexpected that and we get so swept up and we can just get lost in it. And Haggai is under the anointing of God prophetically saying, stop for a second. Do you understand? You're eating, but you're not full. Have you noticed that you're sowing a whole lot of seed, but you're not gleaning much crops? Are you realizing that it seems like you, the more clothes you put on, the colder you get? And does it feel to you ever like you're filling bags with money and the bag has holes in it? Right? All right. You two ladies, come help me out. Come on up. Come on down. Give them a big hand. All right, now, come over here. Come on. Okay, this is your bag here. This is your bag there, okay? Now, this is the money. 
This is, this is a big time illustration right here. I went really all in. All right. This is our money. That almost looks like precious jewels or something, don't it? Look at that. That's nice. That's pretty. Don't get it on you, though. I'm just kidding. It's not that dangerous. All right. Now, hold your bags. Open your bags. I want, I'm going to need you to hold your bag a little bit over here like this. And then I'm going to need you to hold your bag here. Okay? Hey. There's money. Money exists. It's out there. Right? It's not like it doesn't exist. It's there. We know it's there. There's ways to get it. We find ways to get money. Right? We get jobs. We do things. We invest. Whatever. We try to, to get money. We, we need the money to eat, to live, to raise our children, to educate. Right? The money's there. That's not the problem. Somebody say, the problem's not the money. The problem is never the money. Amen. It's the old go-to standby. If you're going to raise an offering in a church, the old, I've heard it my whole life. Good news, folks. We got plenty of money to take care of all of our bills. And then the next line is, but it's still in your pocket. Huh? Thank you for laughing. I know you've heard that a lot. So we have the money now. So we start getting the money. And we start putting in our bag. Raise them up just a little bit. We start putting them in our bag. And oh, it's going good. Look at that. That's nice, right? It's going good. And we, we get some more over here. And then, oh, look at that. That's nice. Isn't that nice? Uh-huh. A little more over here. Yeah. This is good. Look at that. Woo, yours is getting heavy. What? What's going on over here? You're not working hard enough. You need to get a better job. You need more hours. You should probably not come to church so you can pick up some extra hours on the weekends. Oh, oh. See, I was, I was laughing and telling jokes, and then I hit a zinger in there. Yeah, yeah. You can't tithe because you don't have any money. Oh, what's with this lady over here? What's so good about her? Look, she just keeps getting it. Let's keep getting it. I'm going to have to, I can't give to the missions. I wish I had something to give, but I don't have nothing to give. You see what I'm saying? This is a dumb little illustration. But the point of the matter is, at the end of the day, you got these people and you got these people. And you say, well, these people, it's because they have the better job. It's because they got the good education. It's because they came from the good home. It's because of blah, 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 blah. No. No. It's because they're blessed of God. And they're able to hold the blessings because they're doing it obediently. And God can trust them with his blessings. And so he blesses them more. And he gives them a job where they make decent money and they're faithful to the job and they're faithful to church and they tithe and they give of their offerings to the house of God. And God says, well, if they're going to do that. I got a better job over here where I can even give them more money because I got some missionaries that want to be blessed and I got some churches in a day that I want to build and I know I can give it to that person and they're going to give it to me. And so at the end of the day, this person... It's just, look at all that. Look how wonderful that is. And this one, what do you got? What is this? A little measly little nothing. Give them a big hand. When they did a good job. (laughs) 
prophet says to the people, stop for a second and consider your life. And does it ever feel like you're just putting money into a bag with holes in it? And if it does, you need to ask yourself, why? Don't just live that way. You're going to exhaust yourself. You're going to end up with very little in the end. You're not going to live in the blessings of God. Ask yourself, why is it this way? How can I learn to give God's money in a more biblical, obedient, submissive, honoring God way? Because here's the entire issue of tithing. Are you ready? In one word, the whole issue of tithing is lordship. Tithing is recognizing that I have a Lord over me. Amen. The principle of tithing is spoken of many times in Scripture. The first time in Scripture the word is even used is Leviticus 27. Now, this is the first time the word is used. The principle of, is used way before this. But look, this is our, this, it's still only Leviticus. Leviticus 27. And all the tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the tree, is the Lord's. It is holy unto the Lord, right? A tithe here, this in the original first use of the word, which is always a good way if you're gonna study out the meaning of a word in scripture, uh, the principle of first use, go and find out when it's used the first time. The word tithe this time and every time, by the way, after this, means the same thing, a tenth. A tenth. A tithe is a tenth. Tithing is 10% of our increase to God's work. Now, I've heard this a lot. Well, I just want to give my 10% to God. I don't want to give it to the church. Okay. You tell me how you're going to do that. If you're not going to give it to the church, you're going to have to give it to somebody. Unless you're just going to like, I don't know, you're just writing out checks and attaching them to balloons and sending them up. You can't give your money that way to God. And by the way, God, if you want to picture him in heaven, don't need your money. We don't need it up there. We need it here. Right? Right? He's not going to need your money. We don't need your money in heaven. Here is where the money is given so it can be used here. So until you meet God in person, the only thing you can do is give to his work. Therefore, we can only biblically give a tithe by giving to God's work. The Bible has shown us, as we looked at a lot of it, that's giving it to God's house in the sense of Malachi 3, bring ye all, somebody say all, all the tithes into the storehouse. All the tithe means the whole tithe, the entire tenth, all of it. Not 5%, not 9%, 10 
The storehouse in Malachi was referring to the house of God. It was referring to the rooms in the temple where the tithes were kept, right? That's where they kept the tithe. It was in those places. That's what it means by storehouse. So when we comes to our tithing, we don't just distribute God's money however we feel like it. You can give to charities, you can give to causes, you can give to people, you can do all that you want, but you can't call it a tithe. It's not a tithe. You see, control over the tithe is a sign of an unsubmitted heart. This is about lordship. Everybody say lordship. It's about lordship, and the Lord over my life says, give all of your tithe, the full 10%, you just give it to the work of God. You just give it to the storehouses. You give it to the priest at the time. They'll take it into the storehouse. You don't get to say, well, God, how about this? I was going around the temple the other day, and I noticed that there's a few repairs that need to be done, and instead of giving my tithe, I'm gonna go buy some supplies and I'm gonna fix some stuff. Or, you know, I was on my way to the temple the other day and I walked by some people that were in need. And so I decided I'm not gonna give my tithe to God and his work in the temple. I'm just gonna distribute it to needs that I see. Now, I appreciate the sentiment. The problem that we run into is sentiment never overrides scripture. Never. Sentiment cannot override scripture. And so therefore, I have to be obedient to the scripture. And this is where it comes down to lordship. And I say, this is what the Lord tells me to do with it. So this is what I'm going to do with it. I'm not going to designate it. I'm not going to tell them what they're supposed to do with it. I'm just going to give it to the work of God. Long before the Old Testament law comes about, the tithing is incorporated into the Old Testament law. Its principles are carried over into the New Testament. But before we even get to there, at the very beginning, what do we see? The principle of tithing is in the Garden of Eden, isn't it? Of all these trees you can freely eat, but not that one. Well, why can't we? Because I'm the Lord. I'm your Lord, and I'm telling you, don't mess around with that tree. Right? It's submission. It's submission. Ah, gotta love using the word submission. People hate it. But it is, it's submission. It's submission to the Lord with my money. Oh, hallelujah. The New Testament, we see Jesus speak of tithing in Matthew 23, 23. He says, woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. Now, if you stop right there, if you use that portion of that scripture, you can try to make an argument that Jesus is saying, tithe is not that important. You should be actually focusing on these other things. 
But he says, without stopping, by the way, these ought ye to have done and to not leave the other undone. He says, you guys are paying tithes, but you're, not, you're, you're, you're ignoring the law, you're ignoring judgment, you're ignoring mercy and faith, you're ignoring a bunch of things that are really important. He's saying, you should be doing all of those things. Right? You should be doing all of them. Jesus points out to the Pharisees that tithing should be done. But tithing alone does not cover our relationship with God. You see, some have tried to eliminate tithing and also keep their relationship with God. But they find out that they both come back to the heart. It's very hard to eliminate tithing and keep a great relationship with God. Because it's all about the heart. Right? Tithing is a designated amount, a proportionally designated amount. It's 10%. If I say 10%, 10%, that's what it means, a tenth. But it's not just a tenth, is it? It's not just 10%. There's another very key thing. It is the first 10%. Right? And we're, we're almost done, so don't, don't think we're going to go forever tonight. It's called in the scripture 32 times first Fruits. First fruits. It's the tenth off the top. I can't drive this point home enough how much this is messing people up. Right? Look at Deuteronomy 26, 1 through 10. I'm going to read this off the screen. And it shall be when thou art come into the land which the Lord thy God giveth to thee for an inheritance and possesses it and dwellest therein, that thou shalt take of the first of all the fruit of the earth which thou shalt bring of thy land and that the Lord thy God giveth thee and shall put it in a basket and shall go unto the place which the Lord thy God shall choose a place his name there. And thou shalt go unto the priest that shall be in those days and say unto him, I profess this day unto the Lord thy God that I am come unto the country which the Lord swear unto our fathers for to give us. And the priest shall take the basket out of thy hand and set it down before the altar of the Lord thy God. And thou shalt speak and say before the Lord thy God, a Syrian ready to perish was my father. He went down into Egypt and sojourned there with a few and became there a nation great, mighty, and populous. And the Egyptians evil entreated us and afflicted us and laid upon us hard bondage. And when we cried unto the Lord God of our fathers, the Lord heard our voice. He looked on our affliction and our labor and our oppression. And the Lord brought us forth out of Egypt with a mighty hand and with an outstretched arm and with great terribleness and with signs and with wonders. And he had brought us into this place and had given us this land, even a land flowing with milk and honey. And now, behold, I have brought the first fruits of the land which thou, O Lord, hast given me, and thou shalt set it before the Lord thy God and worship before the Lord thy God. Has God blessed anybody in this place? Has he brought you out of anything and put you into a land that's flowing with milk and honey? This is the motivation. This is the motivation. When I start thinking about, am I going to give them the top tenth or if I'm going to give them what's left? Am I going to give them the full tenth or am I just going to throw some money God's way? The motivation matters. Money matters. It's about, look what God has done. Look what God has done. Amen. The tithe. Amen. That tenth. 
off the top on all of our increase. Proverbs 3, 9 through 10, honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits, look at it now, first fruits, the tithe off the top of all thine increase. And if you do that, thy barn will be filled with plenty and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. I just, I just want to say this really quickly. When you really get the spirit of giving and when you really get an understanding of the blessing of tithing, you look to tithe on anything you can tithe on. Amen. You will. You'll be looking. Oh, look at this. I got a bunch of birthday money. I'm tithing on that birthday money. Amen. You'll tithe money. Somebody just walks up to you and says, I feel like God told me to give you this $100. You say, well, if this was from God, I'm going to tithe on that. Right? You're walking down the street and find a $20 bill. I'm going to tithe on that. You will tithe on anything you can tithe on when you really grasp the power and the blessing that's attached to it. It's the tenth. You know the illustration that's coming, but I'm going to do it anyway because it's the best illustration that there is on the 10th. Now, all right, Zachary, come up here. Make sure you understand this. (laughs) We're rolling in the money tonight. Singles. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10. We got 10 $1 bills. So a tenth is what? Good job, son. That education's paying off. $1. God says I can keep it. God says it's his. God says you can have this. I'll bless you abundantly above it, and I'll even rebuke the devourer so he doesn't mess with you this week. As long as you handled this correctly. But so many people do this instead. Well, I got my money for the week. I'll pay my car payment. I'll pay my house payment. My Burger King payment. Put some in savings. Insurance. Electricity. Water. <laughs> Help me out. Food. Happy Lobby. <laughs> Gas. What? Pheasant stamp, <laughs> fishing license, Any, what else? We can name some more, right? But the problem is, is what do we do? We only got one left. And so then we find ourselves in that highly stressful, anxiety-filled position over and over again, walking around with bags with holes in it, where I'm like, what am I going to do with this? And then we think, oh, wait, I'm supposed to tithe. Well, Lord, you know. God, you see me. You, knew what, you know if I had it, I'd do it. 
Right? Lord, if I had it, I'd give it to you. If I had it, I'd do it. But I, I mean, this is all I got left. And then some, you have two choices to make. You can just give it to whatever the other thing is and don't tithe at all. There's actually a second choice. You can tithe on that last little bit. It's still a tenth. It's still the tithe. It still meets, right? It still meets the principle of tithing in the sense that I gave the tenth. But there's nothing left for God to bless or to do anything with. When instead, I can say, here's my 10. Before I do anything else, I'm not gonna think about anything else. I'm gonna give this to God. And then I'm gonna take this, and I'm gonna say, Lord, this is what I have left. I need you to bless it. I need you to multiply it. I need you to help me. And he says, I'm going to open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing upon you that there will not be room enough. Amen. Now, that was my 10 that I gave you. So we'll see next week what he does with that. We'll see if he's still got all 10 of it or if at least one of it has gone to God. Stand with me if you would, please. Malachi 3 and 10. I don't think there's anybody here thinking that. Maybe someone watching online. I don't know. I don't think there's anybody in the room tonight thinking, well, that ain't really going to work. That just makes for good whatever. Well, Malachi 3 and 10 says, bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be meat in my house, and look at it. Prove me now herewith. Saith who? The Lord of what? Of hosts. That means the Lord of it all. The Lord of it. See, that just gets me excited just saying it. The Lord of it all says, tithe and prove me. See if I will not do what I told you I will do. I'll open the windows of heaven, pour you out a blessing that there not shall be room enough to receive it. And so since the Lord of hosts is challenging us, pastors also challenging us. Let's line up biblically. Teenagers, you got those first jobs? Get this right at the beginning. Get it right at the bit. Don't be struggling with this when you're 20 and 30. Don't be fighting this battle when you're 40 and 50 and, and all the time has gone by. Get it right at the beginning. And if you're new or you've never participated in tithing before, start getting it now. Do it right now and God will bless you tremendously. Everybody said amen. Thank you for being in the house of the Lord tonight. I really, really appreciate it. I went a little long. Amen. Thank you for staying. Thank you for the fellowship. Thank you for listening to our podcast this week. We hope you enjoyed this message. 
Remember, if you would like to find out more information about our church or to contact us, please go online at connectpointupc.com. And also don't forget to subscribe in your podcast app so you will be automatically notified of new episodes. Thank you and we hope you have a great week. Thank you.